Welcome and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, the Vice President of Site Engagement. SCRS Talks allows our partners and those that we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements, and learn more about our community. Today, we have Scott Witt, the General Manager of Triad Clinical Trials with us. Scott will be sharing some insights into a recent hot topic amongst our site community, business development at the site level, and how sites can best obtain trial opportunities. Scott, thanks for being here with us today. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your background. Sure. I'm always happy to be on, as you'll find out through the course of this uh, podcast. I enjoy talking, uh, probably a little too much. Um, and my background is in healthcare management and strategy consulting. So... Um, I can talk at length uh, uh, because I used to charge by the hour, so it all it's all goodness. <laughs> so feel free to to, to manage <laughs> my, uh, my my verbiage here. Uh, so as I said, I, I'm probably in the middle of my uh, third decade uh, in, in healthcare. I started working for uh, a health insurance company out of grad school. Uh, spent time in healthcare technology, a uh, number of software companies servicing healthcare. Uh, I ended up as a partner in Deloitte's Strategy and Operations Group in their in their healthcare practice, uh, and spent several years at Acuvia when it was Quintiles, uh, as they were looking for uh, new places to to expand their brand, uh, and learned a little bit about clinical trials. Uh, in my final role, I had several thousand people reporting into me directly and indirectly globally uh, on a healthcare practice at Capgemini out of, out of Paris, but it was really a difficult work life balance, as you, as you might imagine. Um, and about seven years ago, uh, Triad Clinical Trials, which is a mid-size research clinic in uh, central North Carolina, Greensboro, the Triad area, came on the market. The financials were, were pretty compelling. Uh, my wife and I took, uh, took a gamble, put, uh, put uh, a lot of the bonus money we had saved, took an SBA loan out, and, and bought the business. I uh, figured I'd been working in healthcare for 30 years. This would be a piece of cake. Uh, I had a lot to learn. <laughs> the uh, learning curve was very steep. Uh, and quite rocky, uh, given the difference in the market and the staffing and just the business requirements of running a small research site and uh, running a, a large consulting practice. And I'm sure all of you who've run sites for years are probably chuckling quietly, um, as I chuckle quietly at people who work at Deloitte or work at IQVIA who come in and lecture me how to run my business. Uh, they have no idea what they're talking about, as I did not at that point. But I will say, with respect to the topic today, business development, that was one of the real strengths I feel I brought from my consulting background to clinical trials. Uh, as a consultant, particularly at the partner level, the bulk of your job is finding new clients, finding new projects, keeping clients happy, making sure things are delivered on time, and then fixing things when they break. Uh, and that's that has been uh, very useful for us. We're in a, a very enviable place right now in, in this particular cycle that I have probably overcommitted in terms of contracts signed for 2023 going into 2024. So we'll be scrambling to, to hire and, and build out and uh, you know, deliver on those contracts. But I think what I've learned about how clinical trials are sourced and acquired it, and augment that uh, with my, my background in, in, in business development from other areas of healthcare have created some, some real strengths and uh, things that, as I talk to other site leads and other organizations that may not be as successful at this point in the cycle as we are, I think they can, they can learn from. 
That's great, Scott. Thank you for that um, that introduction. Super helpful to understand. You've uh, you've also been a supporter of SCRS for a number of years now. So really great to have you on the line with us today, talking about business development. And uh, as you mentioned, you've been performing this activity and lead acquisition on the site side for a long time. Can you share a little bit of what business development really means for you and maybe defining that process in your own words? Um, yeah, that's a dangerous way to ask me a question because that could go on for several hours, but uh, I will try to keep it keep it brief. But it, it really is about a, a consistent and constant and ongoing networking and branding exercise. Uh, when I went to my first SCRS conference, as we were still learning the business, I, I sat next to another SCS uh, site. A gentleman stood up and said, well, what we've learned in patient recruitment is there's, you know, there's no one way to get 20 patients, but there's 20 different ways to get one patient. Uh, and the same is very much true about getting clinical trial opportunities th themselves. Um, I spent a lot of time on the phone just calling my network of people who had worked in healthcare and worked at uh, Quintiles, IQVIA, people I knew in, in pharmaceuticals, and just looking for contacts, phone numbers, uh, internal you know, warm referrals. LinkedIn can be a, a remarkably productive way uh, for us as a site uh, because a lot of people in site feasibility are actually out there and they are quite open to be uh, to being contacted. I found that to be uh, you know probably a third tier way to maintain that networking effort and that branding effort that gets you into play when the opportunities present themselves. That's that's one thing to to, to be aware of. Uh, that's not true in a lot of other uh, businesses. Very general consulting services don't sell very well through. Through LinkedIn, because there's just such a, 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 a plethora of uh, consulting entities out there that want to sell stuff. But I, I do recommend LinkedIn as a way to to start and, and maintain those second and third tier contacts at the, the CROs and the uh, pharmaceutical companies. Um, you go, you know, go to every conference you can, and if your budget is tight. Um, I get on the phone with the organizers a couple of days before and say, "Hey, how much for a pass to the exhibit hall?" And uh, a couple of things happen there. You got the badge, you look official, they let you in and out. You may not be able to go to the sessions, but you can wander around and talk to vendors. You can bump into other CROs maybe there to speak with you. Um, the other thing, and uh, this is what has always worked for me through decades in healthcare, when you're at the conferences, all of the real business development, not all of it, most of it happens in the social events and in the social events after the social events. So, you know, a CRS always has a couple of social hours. Those are great. They're fun. I make contacts with other sites and vendors. That's very valuable. But I make a point of walking in between the, um, you know, the, the various uh, bars or restaurants in the hotel or in the hotels next to us or there and just look for people with the badges and walk up and start talking. You know, it's, this is a really collegial industry. Um, it's very easy if you have a a common touch point. Hey, I own a site. We do this kind of research. What do you do? It's very easy to get into this group and start those conversations. And I, I would say that's probably 30 to 40% of my net new leads, net new opportunities come through these, you know, serendipitous contacts you happen to make at, uh, at these conferences. And you cannot do too much of that, to, to, to be honest. And you never know where you're going to bump into somebody that's going to have a a, a meaningful conversation for you, the elevator, happy hour, breakfast line. Uh, and then as I identify new leads, I make a point of 
sharing those leads with some of the other sites I don't compete with in different parts of the country and passing their names along. You know, it's probably a, a fourth level thing that you can be doing is sharing leads in, in and amongst each other. Um, and I've gotten a couple, uh, a couple of that way. Um, the other thing too is, is really define your, your mission in, in healthcare. And th- this is true for any organization uh, I work with. And uh, those are, that's above and beyond kind of the cheesy pro forma mission statements everybody has. You know, but what, you know, what are the ingredients in your secret sauce? Why does that matter? You know, and play that off some of your monitors when, when they're in there talking. And that's a great place to start to validate your marketing messages, validate your branding, validate your go-to, just, you know, there's, all the, there's lots of things we all do well. If you go in talking about that, everybody's going to nod their head, but they're just not going to pay attention. You know, everybody's got great facilities, dedicated PIs, awesome staff. You know, that's that's a given. That's why you're here. Above and beyond that, why do you matter? What do you, what do you go in for? For us, you know, we've developed a specialty in uh, really recruiting and retaining patients in certain indications. And for us right now, that happens to be Alzheimer's and gout. Uh, and a couple of very complex uh, complications of diabetes. So we we know for a fact that we can recruit very well in those indications. Um, We go after early phase two studies in those indications, and those are always (laughs) a really rocky, messy, sloppy road. You know, the the protocols are fresh. They're not particularly well written. Um, There's going to be a lot of just gaps in in the protocol and the procedures that you know, we have to identify, we have to fix, and we have to figure out. Um, and if you're not comfortable with that, and if you're not, your, your team isn't comfortable with that, that's not something you want to be doing, to be, to be quite honest. Uh, we had to develop that capability. But for us, as part of our go-to-market strategy, is that I reach out to biotechs um, and some of the big uh, CROs that have studies in that area and say, hey, we've done five Phase two B gout studies. You know we've been the in the top three enrolling sites in all the country, and we've retained ninety nine percent of our patients. Give us your protocol; we'll figure it out. Um, and then when you do that and you deliver successfully, what we're finding out now is that you know when the later phase two comes out, when the later phase three comes out, they just give you the contract, and you know the negotiation process is way simpler because they know you're going to perform, and I can ask for more money and just point to all the things that we fixed for them and all the things we've done right and all the patients we brought in and the amount of time say, hey, this is what it takes. And that's that's really what um, what, what helps. I would say, you know, depending on, on, on the study and, and where we are in the cycle, that can be 30 to 40 percent of the of the, the studies we have going now. I have two, three, four. I've got three studies right now, two in gout, one in diabetic gastroparesis, and we've gotten that way. This is the second or third or even fourth protocol on the same medication, just different focus, different endpoints where we've just been given the contract, and it's been a very simple negotiation process. Um, I, nobody should ape that particular process because, A, it's mine. I can't trademark it, but I'm going to try. <laughs> but uh, that may not be what works for you. You know, what um, it takes a special team of people and, uh, and a willingness to handle uncertainty uh, and, and operate in chaos to take on some of these phase 2B studies, particularly from small biotechs. You know, they're, they're good scientists, they're doctors, but it's very clear when you start creating source and in, in, in your QA documentation, they have really no idea 
how a clinical trial operates uh, and what it takes to make it make it go. So you've got to be prepared to um, to fill in those gaps on behalf of of, of the sponsor, and that can be a scary and, and expensive sort of uh, undertaking. Um, I can go on there. Is there anything in there, uh, <laughs> Jimmy, that you think uh, I should expand upon, or um, <laughs> any other any dimensions you'd like me to cover? Sure. Yeah, we'll get into some of those. Absolutely, Scott, and, and kind of dive, maybe um, give you the opportunity to dive into some of those. But just to, to from from what I heard, some of the things I really teased out and and were able to to summarize there, it really is uh, kind of that old adage, like, you know, know thyself, right? Do the due diligence at your site level to understand and be true to yourself, who you are, what you need to do, what you're good at, what you're not good at, and, and, and be able to speak to and personify those things in an effective way to the sponsor and CRO take the time. And, and I love that you mentioned some of those tangible things, right? Because we say that to sites all the time, you know, oh, do, do what you need to do, know who you are, but, um, giving some examples of what the, your mission is a really great example of that. And when therapeutic areas that you're good at expand, talk, brag about yourself, right? That's kind of what, what, uh, what another takeaway I got from, from your explanation there about what business development needs. That's your opportunity as a site to really showcase, um, uh, uh, who you are. Uh, so, so some of those tips and tricks, uh, are, there are, are really valuable. You know, um, Scott, you know, since you did such a great job explaining some of what BD means and what some of those um, some of those practices are and 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 maybe expand a little bit into some of the things that come off the top of your head as far as how sites should be approaching securing trials a little bit more specifically or, or maybe you know talk about it in the context of what are some of the best practices around business development that you've seen specifically. Right. Um, I, I think once you've got your message and your brand somewhat solidified, you really do have to get out there and, and talk to people. And, you know, mostly that's done, that's done over the phone now. Um, you know, start calling monitors that you've worked with in the past, uh, uh, medical monitors in particular, project managers in the bigger CROs. You know, they're, if you've done a good job for them or you know them, they're going to at least start to talk to you and, and make referrals. Um, and part of my job in, in consulting was bringing along new staff. Uh, and one of the hardest lessons for anybody to learn about business development is just understanding and committing to the level of consistency and persistency in the effort. You know, for for example, I worked for companies like Aetna and United and Deloitte. Those are global brands that are very highly thought of. You know, you, you may love them, you may not, but you know, they're they are they are potent forces in their marketplace and that name carries weight. But even with that, it would take me eight, nine, ten contact, touch points, conversations, email exchanges, not just emails, but you gotta hear back and forth the counters and exchange to really get a new contact to, to get to know you, spend some time with you and think you're something better than just another person trying to get into their, their, their pocketbook. Um, and most people fail to make that transition when they move from being a good consultant or being a good coordinator, or being a good site manager into that business development piece. Uh, and, and not everybody does it. And I can tell when I talk to, to site leads that um, you know have good pipelines it, for some indications, but you know, the market changes and so like those contacts aren't very value anymore and, and they're struggling. Um, it does take that level of persistence and engagement to uh, on top of having the messaging and the branding and the mission statement uh, that that's all got to work together. 
The good news about all of that is, is that, you know, day to day, month to month, week to week, it can be frustrating and it doesn't seem to be paying off. And when people keep ignoring you or not returning your calls, it can be really discouraging. But if you, you know, devote two to three hours a week of that sort of missionary, almost code calling, raw networking, as you accumulate all of that karma, building all that good messaging out there, it's going to pay off. Um, and it may be 18 months, it may be 24 months, but you will eventually find yourself where, where we are now, where I don't think I've really got to worry about sourcing new trials until you know, early 2024. You know, I can turn my attention to hiring and, and operational efficiency and really building out our, our patient recruitment capabilities. Um, and that's, you just cannot overemphasize the importance of just being out there and talking and building, making as many contacts as, as, as possible. Would that answer the question or I just go off on my own tangent? Yeah, that's and, great, Scott. Yeah, excellent, excellent. I, I appreciate some of those, again, those tangible things that you can do. And that that important thing there to me is that the concert of different aspects that make up business development. I think it's really important for sites to understand. And this is a message I know that you've um, really advocated for and, and, and been someone that, you know, we can rely on from the site community is that it's not one particular action. It's not one particular thing. There is no one solution. And sometimes it's, again, emphasizing the importance for our audience to understand it's not immediately, it's not immediate payoff all the time. It's it's the long game in some instances. Sure, you'll have quick wins, but uh, understanding from the site perspective that the effort you put in now may pay off later is really, really important. And and uh, it isn't just something that you can start and stop, I think is, is another really important message there. But what about some things that, some pitfalls, Scott? What are some things that the sites should avoid doing or, or getting in the habit of when it comes to business development? Um, yeah, I, I think that the biggest pratfall, the biggest mistake I see people making, and I made it too, uh, was spending more than 10 or 15 seconds a month on clinicaltrials.gov. <laughs> you know, if you sure. feel like you've got a, a wealth of information out there and you do, uh, there's a bunch of contacts out there, but I can only think of three or four times I've reached out to anybody I found associated with the study and had a meaningful conversation. And none of that ever led to even an FQ. Uh, and I, I found that very disappointing, quite frankly. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, I have a database and HubSpot of probably four or five or six, maybe a thousand, you know, genuine emails, not, you know, general inbox of, of people and, and um, the pharmaceutical companies and CROs. And I just, you know, I was emailing them every six to eight weeks through, through, through HubSpot, lots of different CRM applications you can use for free for that kind of basic uh, outreach. It just never really led to anything. Um, so uh, in that vein, I would, again, you know, you may find yourself working with some brokers or signing up with uh, WCG, the pharmacy folks. The, I've always got one or two studies from them that I don't, I don't have to work for, but, you, you know, that costs you dearly. Uh, I would avoid some of the brokers. Uh, you know, they don't have that great a reputation in, in the marketplace, and it can be difficult to develop that warm, trusting relationship with with with, with the sponsor. Um, and I think too, the other pratfall I see is people overweighting the relationships with the, with the CROs. It's just not building that warm, direct relationship with the sponsor even if it irritates the CRO and it's probably going to, um, you know, you just have to deal with a little blowback. Uh, I understand that everybody's going to like what you do, but particularly when we're dealing with fa early phase two 
and uh, you know a mid-sized biotech that may or may not be publicly traded. You know, I, I try to get on the phone with the CFO as we're negotiating the contract. So I have a sense for I mean, how, how stable do you think you are? How much money do you really have? Uh, we've had one or two disappear without paying their bills. So I'm a little concerned about that. But you know, beyond that, you know, make sure your PI gets a, a little bit of Zoom time or FaceTime with uh, you know the scientists on the team, the, the medical monitor to be sure. But just just the folks who are in the in the um, in the heart of that organization, and then understand, make sure you've got a relationship with the people who are going to get wealthy at that biotech um, should their drug succeed and they they get bought up. Uh, because once they understand your dedication and your mission, you have this warm relationship, you know, you can write out lots of really difficult situations should something go wrong. You need to have those warm relationships, both to, for smooth delivery and renegotiating contracts as that needs to happen. But for getting the next two or three studies, I can think of four or five biotechs in the, in the, in the rheumatism space with gout. Uh, uh, molecules in development that I can you know, pick up the phone and within 10 minutes be talking to one of the executives because we've just built that warm relationship. They trust us. We've delivered for them. And we get beyond the point where we're talking about contract terms or, or money very quickly. You get the upper end of what you're looking for as long as it's reasonable and they just expect you to deliver. Um, and that's, uh, I think that has worked well, well for us. So I think that the biggest pitfalls is sort of chasing history, you know, all the stuff that's on clinicaltrials.gov, that all, that was all done a year or two ago. Um, and all those contacts out there, you know, they may have moved into different jobs or they're not involved in the next phase of studies, or they're just being bombarded by, you know, thousands of sites ac across the globe. You're just not going to rise to the top. So I would get, I would ignore that. I would ignore some of the other publications based on that, unless you're just looking at industry trends. Um, and then I, I would, as a, you know, as a site lead, be sure that you are, you're building those great relationships almost more with the sponsor than the CROs. And that's typically true of the bigger CROs because the turnover there is high. Um, you know, it's very rare that I'm dealing with the same management team at from at the same CRO for the same series of studies. I am dealing with the same sponsor. Um, I think those are the two two big points. I think that from what I can tell from talking to other site leads, that's that's where people fail to to make good use of their time and set the right priorities in business development. Thanks, Scott. Those are in my mind, equally as important as what to do well. And so understanding where not to dedicate your resources, because you and I both know that on the online community, the SCRS online community, um, you know, the sites reach out regularly on what can I do for business development? And and I've tried clinicaltrials.gov and I think it's a really good salient point around maybe don't dedicate your resources there. You know, don't spend time doing that. Spend time uh, learning and developing the information and the background about your site and, and finding the ways to develop relationships, like you said, specifically with some of our pharmaceutical partners, our our, our, our drug companies and, and things along those lines. So I think that's, that's really valuable. Speaking to those sponsor and CRO friends that might be listening to this podcast regarding this topic, how can they support the sites? What can be done on their end um, to, in your eyes to make this an effective um, partnership, either in the short term or in your case, as you have mentioned several times now in, in the long term, you know, focusing on specific therapeutic areas and, and whatnot? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I don't, ask a lot or expect a lot from those relationships. And that's just my history of, of, of calling on executives in healthcare for decades. For the most part, 
and it's even more so true now that, you know, they've got probably 10 times the number of sites that they're actually ever going to need for any, any study. Um, you know, where we've developed these really warm relationships, um, that, that what the, they, I don't anticipate them to keep in touch with me. It's my job to keep in touch with them and check in, um, you know, talk about, you know, I've, I've done, we've run our eight or ninth scout study since we started, started the business. And every time we hit an enrollment milestone or close out a contract, I sent a little note to everybody I've worked with in gout and said, Hey, we just did our 15th gout patient for this study. Um, you know, we're still here. Um, so I, you know, I don't expect a lot from the CROs and from the sponsors from that side. Uh, and that may be another thing you could put under the pitfalls and things to avoid. Don't don't expect that this is going to be a two-way street, unfortunately. Um, I think a lot of sponsors and CRO talk about how they value sites, um, how these relationships are important. And it's not that they're not, but that tends to be apple polishing when they're up on the DS at, at, at a conference. You know, the reality is, is that... Um, you know, they've got a lot, a lot more options than we have. Um, and keeping that in mind, I think, is going to be going to keep you sane uh, and, and help save a lot of disappointment you may have in your on, on your business development journey. It's your job to keep in touch with them. It's your job to keep that relationship warm. It's your job to create those touch points where you can deliver some information about you that that really matters. It's a really valuable perspective, Scott, because we see a lot of times that the sites get frustrated when they don't uh, when they don't hear back or when they put in effort and it's 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 not reciprocated. And and to your point and some of the points that you made previously, it's important and critically important, I think, for our sites that are in this space that maybe haven't been doing BD for a number of years to understand that it takes a long time before you're the go-to site for some of these uh, these sponsors and even some of these CROs. So uh, understanding and, and approaching business development with that mentality, I think, is a really great place for us to kind of conclude our conversation here. And, and that is it, put in the effort and do what you need to do and don't think that you are uh, a, a great gift to the clinical research enterprise um, because there's constant work that needs to be done to maintain those relationships and to build new ones. Um, and there's there's a reason why business development uh, and, and business development folks are FTEs at some of these larger sites and, and even right, have right. entire teams of, of, of business development individuals that, that go about doing this on a regular basis to maintain those relationships. So I think I think that's um, a really unique, um, I, I, I wouldn't say unique, maybe rare um, mentality to maintain as we approach business development. So thank you for those insights. And, and Scott, you know, overall, thank you for the the the, the wise advice for what we should be doing and what we might be avoiding in clinical trials uh, and business development. It's so great to hear from someone with your experience and be able to share that with your with our community and the community that you're part of. So thank you again um, for, for your insights there. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm always happy to get on and talk with you guys. So feel free to reach out. We'll see you at the next conference. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care. For everyone listening, make sure that you register for our upcoming summits being held throughout the year by visiting our summit page. While you're on our website, check out our other SERS publications that are designed specifically for our community in the publications of that website, myscrs.org. We appreciate everyone's participation in today's program and looking forward to having you join us for more great content coming out soon. Thanks for listening.